African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. What's up, everyone? Good morning, Africa. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. This is where you get the African perspective. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms, on DSTV, on uh, the frequency, uh, rather on DSTV, on Channel 802, on the audio bouquet, and on our shortwave service, we're on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the ties between the U.S. government and Saudi Arabia, especially things started unpacking themselves following the recent murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, and a lot of people didn't really understand why Americans were very much interested in uh, uh, this Saudi journalist. I mean, now and then all the time we see a lot of... uh, uh, you know, situations whereby journalists are not treated well. But this showed ties between the U.S. government and links to the fact that, you know, there was a relationship, a huge relationship and a sensitive relationship between the two states. Several U.S. Republican senators this weekend rejected President Donald Trump's embrace of Saudi Arabia after the murder of uh, Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, with some lawmakers from his parties saying, Congress must take additional action. Trump vowed last week to remain a steadfast partner of Saudi Arabia and said it was not clear whether Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman knew about the plan to kill Khashoggi last month at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Uh, the president cast doubt on the CIA assessment that Crown Prince Mohammed order, ordered uh, Khashoggi's killing, telling reporters that the agency had not formed a definitive uh, conclusion. Well, another uh, addition to this particular issue is the fact that the United States on November 15 imposed economic sanctions on 17 Saudi officials for their role uh, in the, uh, this particular issue. Uh, but also we know there are the, uh, other sanctions in terms of the oil issue as well. So there's so many factors in this particular relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. Well, to assist us on this, we've got Ibrahim Dean, researcher at the Afro-Middle East Center, Professor John Stremler from the Department of International Relations at Wits University, Brooke Spector, Associate Editor and News Foreign Policy Expert at Daily Maverick. I want to start with you, Ibrahim, in terms of uh, this particular issue of uh, Kasogi and the uh, USA. Why has the United States taken so much interest in this particular journalist? I think when we look at Khashoggi's uh, murder, and I, I mean, uh, we could go into the broader Saudi-U.S. relations later, but sure. the one, the one thing, there's a few things with his murder specifically. One is it was carried out in an embassy. Um, also, you know, uh, the Turkish intelligence very quickly, uh, you know, managed to intercept the audio recordings calls which they've been leaking out. That's the one part that sure. has forced international communities, you know, to, to take further more action. But more importantly, uh, there were two other things. One is Khashoggi is a resident in the U.S. He has uh, permanent residency, if I'm not mistaken, and was a columnist for the Washington Post, which is um, one of the most widely read papers on Capitol Hill. 
So the pressure was then felt, or you know, or, or U.S. senators and congressmen, specifically senators like Lindsey Graham, uh, started placing more pressure on the U.S. to take action because one of the brutality of Khashoggi's uh, murder, because he was a columnist for the Washington Post, and because of the amount of leaked information that happened. Uh, I mean, in the specific case, this, these were the three big issues. But then in that, we're seeing something else unfold, and it's, it, it, it kind of is unpacking something beyond that particular case, which is the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia, Ibrahim. Yes, I mean, the, U- the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia is a long relationship, uh, you know, occurring uh, post-World War II. Uh, the U.S. seeing Saudi Arabia as a, as a strong linchpin, especially in terms of its oil swing state capacity. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, that relationship has been long, long enduring. Uh, generally, it was also uh, thought that the, Saudi- the U.S., you know, held all the cards and the Saudis didn't really have held, hold any real cards in the relationship. Um, and so, you know, in, in this context, what has been happening is they have been, you know, the, the U.S. has supplied weapons to Saudi Arabia, specifically in the war in Yemen. So we're going closer now to, you know, to, to the Khashoggi incident. And so the Khashoggi incident went, you know, basically was then, in, in a sense, um, you know, put an end to this whole, we're supporting a maverick crown prince mm-hmm. who was supposedly a reformer or seen as a reformer, um, you know, we, we're funding the Saudi war in Yemen, and, and this is basically what is occurring. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, many senators have then subsequently used this Khashoggi death to try and advocate for more Congress oversight of the U.S. war and Senate oversight of the U.S. war in Yemen, uh, some even calling for, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. to halt its mm-hmm. support to Saudi forces mm-hmm. in Yemen. So, you know, that this relationship, there is a broader context mm-hmm. of the relationship, um, and also, you know, specifically in recent times, it's Yemen and the fact that the Saudis have been purchasing, mm. uh, I mean, a lot of arms. I think it was $110 sure. billion dollars worth of, uh, you know, um, and, um, intentions to purchase $110 billion worth of arms from the, the Americans. Mm. Um, so, you know, basically many within Congress and within the Senate specifically have, have been looking at, you know, arguing that, that that for the U.S. to, to regain some of its mantra, it needs to be able to uh, contain the Saudis, especially this, you know, this maverick prince uh, who, you know, I mean, who, who basically um, put his, his cousin under house arrest, Mohammed mm-hmm. bin Naif. Mm-hmm. And Mohammed bin Naif was much closer to those uh, in Washington and had been dealing with intelligence circles for like tens of years. He's mm-hmm. a proper, you know, um, he had been in bureaucratic administrative positions within the regime, whereas Mohammed bin Salman, a relative outsider, mm-hmm. close to Trump and his son Jared Kushner, now comes in, you know, basically turns around U.S.-Saudi relations and basically turns and basically destabilizes the whole region mm-hmm. with Saudi mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia's new behaviors. Professor Stremlau, definitely Congress and the Senate is very much uh, polarized over this issue, as was uh, elaborated upon by Ibrahim. Uh, I don't think polarization is quite the term right now, because yesterday the Senate, on a procedural vote regarding Yemen and whether to invoke the War Powers Act, did vote 63 to 37, a bipartisan vote. Okay to um, debate the War Powers Act with regard to Yemen, where South Africa has, of course, uh, interests because uh, under the Obama administration, as strains uh, increased with Saudi Arabia over this conflict, 
I think uh, South Africa had some of the uh, military uh, equipment. But more to the immediate point, there is a G20 meeting this weekend starting tomorrow in Buenos Aires uh, where South Africa will be and um, um, our, our crown prince that was just referred to, uh, MBS or Mohammed bin Salman, will be is already there. And uh, Donald Trump will will have to decide whether he's going to engage with the um, with the Saudis. And I don't think you want to lose sight of the fact that Trump has a lot of business dealings personally, historically, with Saudi Arabia. They bought a whole floor in Trump Tower. And we never really know where the personal and the uh, presidential uh, divide on this very complex relationship, which, as the previous speaker said, goes back uh, 20, 70 years, a 70-year alliance, but it's been up and down, and Yemen and Khashoggi are, are both straining the relationship right now very seriously. Mm. And that's a p- good point that Professor Stremlau is highlighting there, Brooks, because uh, that issue of uh, uh, Donald Trump's personal ambitions versus his uh, national obligations has been blurred in this particular issue, and it's become more evident that uh, his uh, interests are not known in terms of his bias. Hello. Are you there, Brooks? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here. Sorry, I didn't hear anything at all. Um, look, I, I'm not absolutely convinced we know uh, where the the intersection between the Trump organization's uh, specific business interests and the, the more general way that uh, the Trump administration is pursuing foreign policy. But let's put this into a somewhat, uh, we'll get to the Trump organization in a sec, but let's put this in a, in a slightly larger context. Uh, when the Trump administration came into office uh, just under two years ago, they had what appears to me to have had a sort of a tripart Middle Eastern policy. Uh, and we shouldn't look at Saudi Arabia in isolation. Okay. Um, the, the key determinants uh, in this policy were, A, the isolation and uh, uh, the removal of Iranian influence uh, in various parts of the Middle East, whether it was in Syria or Yemen, because Iran is the other partner to the conflict in Yemen. Uh, and in doing this, uh, the decision was made to withdraw from the P5 plus one nuclear accord with Iran that was that was signed a few mm-hmm. years back. Uh, party, part of that was to uh, push Saudi Arabian influence and status yet further as the natural counterbalance to Iran, uh, whether that was a judicious and well-thought-through decision is entirely different, but that was a part of their strategy. And the third determinant, or the third leg of it, was to uh, add to support to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's policies in, uh, as prime minister in Israel. The three things are operating in tandem, the three policies operate in tandem, uh, and one of the unfortunate elements of this, of course, has been to give the Saudis something approaching free reign in their pursuit of a win in Yemen over the the rebel forces supplied by Iran, uh, and one of the 
further outcomes from that, of course, has been the, the fact that we've all learned that, that uh, many of the weapons, not all of them, but many of them were obviously supplied by the United States. Uh, let me just offer two, uh, uh, one correction to uh, what uh, 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 Ibrahim Dean said earlier. The weapons sales, the, at this point, that number of $140 billion has been bandied about in all different ways, and it's nowhere close to that. Uh, that represents ideas, uh, memorandums of understanding, rather than sales or commitments. The real number, so far at least, uh, has been about $14 billion, $14 billion and something. It sounds like a lot of money, and it is, uh, but it's nowhere near something ten times as large as that. But to go back to that that initial point, the, the confluence of, of uh, personal and uh, governmental roles, it is certainly true that the Saudis and a number of other Middle Eastern states have done uh, as much as they can to make use of Trump organization managed or owned uh, hotel facilities, and including the Trump International yeah. Hotel in Washington. It, what is not clear, and it will be very hard to, to, to parse out, is whether that money buying those hotel rooms or buying flats in buildings owned by the Trump Organization or managed by them, whether those purchases by themselves have mm. influenced policy or simply demonstrate the the overlap of the two um, the two the, the two processes. And I, I don't think, and unless we mm. all get a look at internal documents mm. in the Trump administration, it's going to be very hard to parse out the difference. That's the world of Trump Towers and the White House kind of conflating there. And that's the voice there of Brooks Specht, Associate Editor and U.S. Foreign Policy Expert at Daily Maverick. On the line, we also have Professor John Stramler from the Department of International Relations at Wits University. Ibrahim Dean is also with us for this discussion, and he's a researcher at the Afro-Middle East. And I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, when I speak about that issue that was brought to the forefront and elaborated upon by Brooks Specht in terms of that militarization of the politics that we are seeing here. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back to that. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello Africa, welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa, 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time, 1000 African Voices with me Awurengwi C on Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, our main service into Sub-Saharan Africa is on our frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for listening to us on DSTV if you're in South Africa and some of the SADC countries. We're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And welcome if you're listening to us on our internet facility. And that's our international Pan-African community. If you're listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Thank you for joining us. 
us right here for the African Perspective. You're listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Today, we're looking at the issue of the relationship between the United States and uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Things started kind of boiling and coming to the forefront after the murder of Saudi uh, journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And uh, it's been very interesting to see how things are unpacking in terms of what this is actually revealing in terms of the relationship between the two states. And just uh, recently, the Saudi Arabia... um, has been confirmed to be buying Lockheed Martin's $15 billion missile defense system. And uh, this is recently after the Trump administration and the U.S. defense industry was actually working on uh, actual deals in the much-touted $110 billion that was alluded to by both Ibrahim and Brooke Spector there of an arms package for Saudi Arabia. Clearly, there's something bigger here happening, uh, Professor Strem in terms of uh, uh, what's happening in uh, the de- the defense industry and, and, and the arms missile uh, industry in the U.S. Uh, in relation to Saudi Arabia? Well, listen, the Saudis have bought a lot of U.S. military equipment. In 2011 to 15. they were taking just under 10% of U.S. military experts, but don't, uh, exports, but don't lose sight of the bigger point, which is that the U.S. military dominates the Saudi Arabian military. Donald Trump has enormous leverage over Saudi Arabia if he wanted to use that leverage, because not only does the um, U.S. military uh, completely um, dominate the, the equipment and supplies of the Saudis, Um, But the U.S. is no longer at all dependent on Saudi Arabian oil. You know, the Saudi-U.S. relationship was badly strained by the oil embargo back in the 70s. But now the U.S. has got this shale oil and barely 7% imports of foreign oil from all sources. So it's self-reliant. Trump does not want to use the U.S. leverage. African countries are dependent on on Saudi Arabian oil, including uh, South Africa, which buys a lot. But also that $10 billion commitment to the investment package down here is very important. It should be for the Americans to take on the Saudis, not for African countries to have to put into the middle of this mix in any way feeling uh, uh, compelled. And I don't think the U.S. is doing uh, at all what it might well do to restrain the excesses of um, um, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the MBS. Mm. Ibrahim, your thoughts? I mean, I think, uh, you know, when we're looking at this militarization of uh, Saudi-U.S. relations, it all occurred since, as Brooks was talking about, uh, you know, the, the signing in of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action um, on Iran. Um, and, and America's, or at least, you know, even in the latter end of the Obama administration, the idea that, okay, to sign the agreement, we need to placate the Saudis a bit, so we'll allow for the passing of UN 2216 resolution on Yemen, we'll also start supplying arms. Um, I think significantly, though, is, yes, there's the arms purchases, and, uh, and intentions of arms purchases are, you know, as Brooke correctly stated. Um, uh, and not actual purchases, but also uh, there's, you know, there's the, 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 the bigger idea also is that uh, Mohammed bin Salman has opened up the Saudi economy for, you know, to investment, and many U.S. companies uh, are investing specifically in the Neom project. Um, also, Saudi's uh, sovereign wealth fund have, has been used to 
to, for example, invest in certain, uh, you know, American companies, specifically in the in the movie industry in Hollywood. Um, so these these factors are, uh, you know, um, basically aiding Donald Trump in his attempt to, uh, you know, to stay close to the to the Crown Prince. I mean, as we have seen with uh, with President Trump, is he 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 thrives or his foreign policy seems to be based on personal relationships. If we're talking about Putin in Russia, if we're talking about Kim Jong Un in in North Korea, and, and in Saudi Arabia, it's you know the the closeness between him and or his son-in-law Jared Kushner and yeah. Mohammed bin Salman. So, uh, you know, it is a personal relationship that that he uses the politics in a sense to justify, um, and uh, basically. As we can see in the Trump administration's playbook, it seems as if he, uh, you know, once he's set on a position, he doesn't very easily sway from it. And I do agree with Professor Samuel that, you know, the U.S. can uh, place a lot more pressure on the Saudis because I do think they do have a lot more levers, uh, and also specifically in terms of uh, uh, relations with other royals within the the, the Saudi, uh, you know, royal family, uh, and that's, I mean, I think back uh, channel negotiations have been occurring in that regard. Um, but you know, when we look at at how uh, global powers and how the U.S. has acted before, it it hasn't really uh, acted in a sense to try and stall human rights. Human rights, um, uh, you know, the, or the the adherence to human rights hasn't actually. Uh, you know, stopped it from supporting regimes such as those in Chile in the 1980s, or, or even you know the Sisi regime in Egypt. So you know, it's not a surprise that uh, that the U.S. has chosen, or at least the Trump administration has chosen, to support Saudi Arabia so closely. The surprise, though, or, or the, the distinguishing factor is that the administration seems to carry on the spot despite and in spite of the fact mm. that you know there is a bipartisan. Uh, uh, you know, criticism of it and attempt to actually, you know, uh, um, to stall it a bit. Um, and so, so, unlike, you know, previous U.S. administrations where there were, you know, there was support for the president, this, this seems to be the other way around. Trump seems to be using his, you know, presidency in a sense to try and, or, or, and you know, driving roughshod over the powers of Congress and the Senate. All right, let's look at this dynamic that was also brought forward by Professor Stremler, especially um, the contrast in terms of this issue of oil um, and the sanctions in Iran. I know that has a relationship with uh, Saudi Arabia. Ibrahim, before I go to Brooks, what are your thoughts around that? Even some of uh, these uh, sanctions that also have been imposed on Saudi Arabia in terms of this uh, killing of Khashoggi, um, how does that make things complex, especially in relation to the relationship that uh, uh, Donald Trump enjoys um, with the crown prince? I, mean, I think the sanctions, uh, if you look at the sanctions, they were done very coordinated. So the Saudis issued their sanctions on a Thursday morning, I think it was a week or two ago. The U.S. Uh, basically countered with their sanctions just in the afternoon. So it seems to have been a coordinated move and a move aimed at actually deflecting uh, responsibility, trying to absorb pressure uh, away from the crown I mean, in terms of the oil issue, you know, uh, the Saudis have threatened um, to uh, stop supplies and you know, ensure that oil prices increase. Uh, but what we have seen since they threats, and I think this is where, uh, you know, the fact that oil, a lot of oil is speculative. Uh, there is an oversupply of oil, and I think it's it, it's something that, you know, when when oil prices go up, it's generally more speculative than actual supply demand. Um, 
And so the oil price has actually decreased in the past two weeks, mm. despite the sanctions, uh, um, you know, or the threats of sanctions or of supply cuts from OPEC and the Souths, mainly because there is a lot of spare capacity, and also the Trump administration did, you know, give some waivers on the Iranian nuclear deal, specifically your Turkey, your South Korea, your Japan, your Iran, I mean, your, your India, uh, were able to obtain waivers and still can purchase Iranian oil. So, there, you know, there is still the supply in the market, allowing um, the, you know, the Trump administration more leverage. Uh, the Trump administration, however, doesn't seem to want to use this leverage, uh, you know, I mean, as Brooks said, because it... It, one sees Saudi Arabia as a key cog in its anti-Iran, uh, you know, policy and in, in attempts to support Israel. Significantly, Mohammed bin Salman has been one of the closest, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or the biggest proponents of, of close Middle East or Arab state-Israeli relations. I think that's also very significant when we look at U.S. foreign policy uh, in that, you know, in that context. But also, uh, we also talk about the investments or the supposed investments from the South into, you know, the Trump, uh, the Trump company or the Trump business. And, you know, these two factors are meaning that the U.S. doesn't want to use its leverage and is actually pushing back against Congress or the administration, uh, which is trying to force it, you know, to, to balance its view more. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back to uh, Brooke Spector. I'd like to elaborate on some of the points that Prof, uh, Prof Stremler was highlighting there, especially in terms of uh, uh, interventions that we've seen from African states um, uh, in terms of this debacle between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, those dynamics? We'll deal with that after this break. <music> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovu and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Well, let's wrap up this conversation that we're having. If you're just joining us now, we're looking at the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. It's been very much uh, uh, informative in terms of the context that we're talking about currently under the Donald Trump administration. And I want to take things uh, back to what Professor Stramlau was highlighting, Brooks, in terms of the dynamics where Africa doesn't know how to deal with these interventions that are taking place between between this relationship that we've been elaborated upon between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia. I know when you look at a country like uh, South Africa, recently Saudi Arabia made a $1 billion bid for partnership. Uh, so the, there are a lot of factors to consider, even for African countries, in terms of intervening in this context. Well, I mean, let's, let, let's, let's be real about this. 
Um, countries like South Africa, among among many other countries, always have a struggle be, uh, between uh, certain espoused principles of foreign policy and the grubbier real politic issues. Uh, and in this case, yeah, if you need oil uh, for all the machinery of the of the economy, uh, you're going to hold your nose and you're going to deal with countries who sell it. Uh, but in point of fact, oil goes into the international market, and it doesn't usually show up with a little sticker "country of origin" on it. So you know you can um, you can you know sh- you, you can um, you know wave your arms and say, "Well, we really are not involved with that." Part of the part of the problem is we're dependent on oil. We all are. Uh, as one of your other uh, co-panelists reminded us, though. The United States is no longer dependent on imports uh, from uh, the Middle East or, indeed, basically from anywhere else. Uh, Once again, it's a net oil exporter, uh, which is something of a change. And let me just add one other factor. We've been talking as if this is a one-sided, one-dimensional relationship. The U.S. acts on Saudi Arabia or chooses not to. Remember... The Saudis, over the last number of years, have spent millions of dollars trying to build a community of supportive, interested friends in the United States uh, to act on government administrations, on the Congress, uh, and on the the permanent bureaucracy. Uh, They have paid uh, for large numbers of lobbyists and interest groups to represent them in Washington. They've paid. They've underwritten study centers and universities to try to build up a sense of shared community and understanding, because that's their. That's been their greatest feature. They have the money to do it, and they've been able to make some inroads that way. That, in some ways, is the reason why there has been such a shock wave in the U.S. over the killing of uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, he was not a U.S. citizen, but he was resident in the Washington area. He wrote uh, for the Washington Post. Uh, He was, relatively speaking, a moderate critic of the Saudi government until a few years ago was something of a cheerleader for them. And then to find him killed inside a diplomatic premises, presumably uh, with enormous violence and brutality, uh, and the dissembling that went on for a number of weeks about whether he had left the building or whether he had simply, we don't know where he went and what he did, uh, was a real uh, kick in the guts to many Americans Mm. who had gotten used to the idea that the United States and Saudi Arabia at the present have this larger community of interest in the Middle East. Mm. And that's where, I think, to some degree, much of the pressure uh, on Saudi Arabia has come. That and the relative failure of the Trump tripart policy toward the Middle East, oppose Iran in all ways, shapes, and forms, support the Saudis, uh, bolster the Israelis, and everything will come out right in the end. And that's been proven, at this point at least, to be something of a chimera. Well, th- thanks for contextualizing that, Brooks, because that's, uh, that opens a new can of worms. Professor Stremler, um, we've, we've run out of time, but how would you sum up this conversation? Follow the money, uh, Benjamin. Uh, the Trump uh, 
involvement in this. He's not condemned um, um, uh, MBS for the uh, killing of Khashoggi, even though his own CIA says the re evidence is indisputable. And so why is there all this wiffle waffle over this? I would suspect that there's real money at stake here, and maybe the special counsel will bring some of this to light. But it does not make sense anything that Donald Trump has tweeted about this uh, terrible killing of Kosoji that uh, Brooks Spector just uh, spoke about. Mm. Ibrahim, your final sentiments? I think the, the final comment to, I would say is that uh, that it, it does show that you know that that the Saudis have become uh, a party, as Brooks would say, that has its own leverage, specifically within the Gulf, your UAE, your Bahrain, your Egypt, and is now able to uh, you know adopt its own independent foreign policy, which is not necessarily good both for the region and now, as we're seeing, for the world. And I think we, uh, specifically as South Africa, need to realize this, especially when we're looking at, uh, at uh, Daniel and arms purchases and oil purchases and opening arms institutes in Saudi Arabia, because, you know, many of this may actually come back, at least in, on a more moral level, to, to, you know, bite our supposed, you know, human rights-based foreign policy. All right. Thank you, gents, for giving us your time. This has been very informative. And, you know, you guys opened a lot of um, uh, areas in which we can understand this relationship. Because on the surface, all we saw was an issue of a human rights issue. But there seems to be a lot uh, behind this particular story. Thank you to Ibrahim Dean, researcher at the Afro Middle East Center. Thank you to Professor John Stramlau, uh, joining us from the Wits University. He's part of the Department of International Relations there. Brooks Speck. Thank you as well. It's been great speaking to you once again. It's been a while. He's the associate editor and newest foreign policy expert at Daily Maverick. Thank you all for your participation. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, that takes us to 11.41 Central African time. And remember, we want to hear from you as Channel Africa. We want you to be part of the Channel Africa family. So you can do that by actually being part of our social media connection. Go to our Twitter handle, at Channel Africa 1. That's the handle, at Channel Africa 1. It's the numeric one at the end, the number one at the end, at Channel Africa 1. Or you can visit us on our website. That's where you can find so many things on our website. Our multimedia sections we've got a news update section we've got our podcast section go to www.channelafrica.co.za and uh, don't forget our facebook page simply titled channel africa well we're going to wrap up this discussion with some great music by fair koya this one is titled lerato <laughs> Saga Somebody up me fine Fine Lerato 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 Lerato, 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 chop my money and run away. Lerato, 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 chop my money and run away. One Saturday evening, I go Soweto, via Orlando West, to 
go see my friend though. As I they drive, they go. I see one lady. She look like an angel. Umuntegakulu. I say, lady, what's your name? She say, my name na Nerato. I say, my name na Femi. Can I give you a lift? She say, no, no. I don't want your lift. I say, yes, yes. You must want my lift. Would you be the sugar in my tea? The butter in my bread, oh. My only baby, my African queen. So I carry Lerato go London. We go spend money. I carry Lerato go Paris. We go spend money. I carry Lerato go Lagos. We go spend money. I carry Lerato go Dubai. We go spend money. When my money finish, Lerato run away. Oh. When I wake up in the morning, Lerato was gone. Somebody help me find, find Lerato. Somebody help me find, find Lerato. I go. Lerato, Lerato. Oh, 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 oh. Lerato, drop my money and run away. West Lerato. Lerato. 